Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for November 5th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we catch up with Michael Sparks of the Arkansas chapter of the Farmer Veterans Coalition to talk about the group's upcoming Veterans Day celebration. We also talk to Monroe County's Jim Carroll about wrapping up his term as chair of the United Soybean Board and learn about Preston Rose Farm and Brewing Company in the Arkansas River Valley, a destination craft brewery with locally grown food options. And finally, we hear from Arkansas Farm Bureau State Affairs Director Jeff Pitchford about Tuesday's election results. First, Ken Moore visited with Monroe County soybean farmer Jim Carroll as he was harvesting the last of his soybeans this week following several rain-related delays. Carroll is concluding his year as chair of the United Soybean Board next month, and he took time to discuss what the board accomplished this year despite the challenges of COVID-19 and how the weather impacted soybean production in 2020. I'm Ken Moore, and this week I'm down in Brinkley, Arkansas, on the farm of Jim and John Carroll as they're harvesting they're soybeans, and uh, Jim is about to wrap up his year as chair of the United Soybean Board. And we're very proud that Jim has represented Arkansas and, and Mid-South farmers, really, if you will, uh, as chair of the board this year. Jim, I uh, can't believe we were talking and having a conversation. It was in early December after your annual meeting last year when you were named chair of the board. And uh, now we're just a month away from that anniversary. Uh, it's been a fast year, hadn't it? Yes, sir. It's been really fast, and it's been really hard with this COVID and a few things going on. You know, uh, if most people think about it, we're not anywhere close to normal right now. And and, and we've tried to stay that way on the farm and USB, and, and uh, I'm proud of the work we have done. It's just been a difficult thing to think through and work through. Tell us how, uh, I mean, you didn't, you traveled a little bit at the beginning, at the first of the year. But then everything shut down in March. So talk about the challenges you've had conducting your business during this pandemic. Well, it's just like uh, normal. We uh, wanted to do the business. We had our schedule and everything, but we couldn't get in person with these buyers and stuff. So our USAC bunch and the USB has went virtual. And really, it surprised me we gained in numbers. Instead of having, you know, 25 people, they may get on there virtually and have 250 people. So there's some pluses that's come with it, not been all negative, but it's a little bit tough to uh, stay at home now that uh, you've seen some of the world and see where the needs are. And uh, uh, people need to understand it. Nowhere that I've been in the past is like the United States. What kind of year has it been for the soybean industry in 2020? Uh, another wet one. We struggled in the spring again to get in on timely manner, and, and we're struggling now with all these hurricanes that keep coming. They're just stacking up out there like a deck of cards. And it hadn't been so much the winds and things for us, but it's been the water. And probably the last six weeks, we've probably had between 12 and 15 inches here in Brinkley. And uh, seven and a half of it came on that first one, and it kind of put us in the flood stage and had to pump off. The rest of them now, it, uh, you know, it doesn't dry in October, November, December, so we're going to be cutting the rest of them in mud like today. Well, but uh, amazing to me how farmers like yourselves, because of research that goes on behind the scenes, technology, new varieties, you can still get a decent yield. Yes, we can, and uh, we're raising non-GMO for our chicken friends at George's, and uh, the uh, that pleases me to know that I'm helping out another company right here in the United, in our state particularly. Yeah. But overall, the yields have been up for research that's went on around this country. 
We're getting a lot better quality. We're working as USB on uh, bettering our protein, and we found new uses for oil. So things are really looking up in the soybean industry. That's, that's encouraging. Now, uh, one final question again about uh, trade and, and, and exporting of our you know, excellent soybean products. Uh, we At the beginning of the year, uh, the president signed the phase one of the Chinese trade deal. They've started buying product. Uh, they haven't met quota yet, but we're seeing some movement in that direction. That's true, and I don't know that the trade deal was all that was supposed to be, but they're going to have to buy. They're a huge country with a lot of people, and, and Brazil can't supply the world, and we can't either. It's got to be a, a market from all over. And I'm very well pleased with it because when they did stop, we picked up some new customers and, and grew some young uh, emerging markets. Okay. And I think that's the way it should work. Now, if China comes back and wants to rest our soybeans, I'm all for giving them to them. I'm not one that uh, penalized anybody, but they need to remember where they come from. Of course they do. And uh, USEC, the Soybean Export Council, is what that uh, stands for. They're working all the time every day to try to find new markets. Yes, I talked to Jim Sutter, their CEO, a week ago, and they're getting ready to have to have a virtual end-of-the-year meeting, and, and it's kind of a hindrance, but they've really done good on their virtual meetings. They're, they're meeting just like they would around the world, but it's all virtual, and they're telling me that they're getting a lot of good questions and meeting some new people that they hadn't seen before, so I say hallelujah, that's a good deal. So what are some of these new markets outside of uh, China? Well, we're, we're seeing some uh, move in Vietnam. I think they're, they're getting more into the fish. Uh, I'm seeing uh, Morocco's wanting more poultry. That's a Muslim country, and, and they're needing our poultry, and they're looking at our expertise on how to house raise them, you know, and, and they're doing very well and, and really moved into the soybean market this year. That's, that's exciting. So optimism reigns eternal as we end the new year, as we end one year and begin a new year. So Let's hope we get this pandemic behind us pretty soon in 2021. Your final year as uh, ex-chair, if you, if you will, uh, will be a very, very positive one. Yes, and, and I'm going to work next year just like I have this year, trying to keep us going and good thing. USB is a good organization. I think they've done a lot for the soybean farmer. We give them a, a few cents a bushel, but in the long haul, they're bringing back hundreds and thousands of dollars to the farmer it, it just doesn't come to all one farmer it comes to all of us and that's the way it should be we want the whole industry to move forward jim we appreciate your representation this year as chair of usb and uh the friend you are to farm bureau you and john both and uh best of luck with the conclusion of your harvest let's hope we have another two weeks of this good dry weather so you can get it out of the field Thank you for that, and, and, you know, I hope and pray that this COVID goes away and we can come back to some normal uh, existence here on, on the United States and get things back like they were. Uh, that's a hope of mine. It's a hope for all of us. Certainly, certainly. Thank you. been speaking with Jim Carroll out here on his farm. He took a break from uh, harvesting his soybean crop just to speak with us today on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. The Arkansas chapter of Farmer Veterans Coalition is hosting a Veterans Day celebration on November 11th. Next, Keith Sutton talks to Chapter President Michael Sparks about this important get-together in the group's national conference coming up November 18th and 19th. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. And today my guest is Michael Sparks. Michael owns Honeycomb Ridge Farms in Searcy. Uh, an apiary, beekeeping, and honey, 
And Michael is also the president of the Arkansas chapter of the Farmer Veteran Coalition. Welcome to AgCast, Michael. Keith, it's good to talk to you again. We are glad to have you uh, back with us. Uh, we shot a, a video uh, not too long ago with you and your son, Connor, and we uh, had an opportunity then to start getting acquainted with the Farmer Veteran Coalition, where you're a very active member. Can you tell everybody a little about the Farmer Veteran Coalition and what it does? The Farmer Veteran Coalition is of Arkansas is the, the state chapter of a larger organization that connects farmers uh, with farmer veterans, no matter what uh, level of experience they have, and we connect them with information, uh, experience, and mentorship. And the Arkansas chapter is not very old. Uh, you actually helped found that chapter, right? Uh, yes, sir, that's correct. Uh, we received our charter in July of 2020, um, and so we are just now getting our feet on the ground and beginning to expose uh, the current farmer veterans in Arkansas of this organization and what we offer. And Let's just use you maybe as an example. Why would I want to take the time to belong to this group? What has it done for you as a farmer? I know, uh, as I mentioned, you have a beekeeping operation, but uh, Farmer Veteran Coalition has been very important in helping you get started with the farming part of your career. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. Number one, it has introduced me to some uh, individuals across the state, which relationships are very important. It helps build networks to maybe I have a problem on my operation that I'm not really uh, clear on how to overcome, or I need an opening to a market, or I have uh, someone that is wanting to learn something about what I do. So those relationships are probably the biggest benefit of this organization. Uh, right now, though, we're not as connected as we'd like to be, so we would like to make sure that we're expanded out into the different areas of the state, which that's important. A relationship from for someone in southeast Arkansas with someone else in southeast Arkansas it, a lot of times is way more beneficial than someone from northwest to southeast because those areas, the topography, the, the practices are so different. And right now might be a, a good time to think about getting involved with the organization. Y'all have a big, uh, it's going to be a virtual conference this year, and it's coming up pretty soon. And we thought this would be a good opportunity to let folks know about that. What can you tell us? Well, we have a uh, stakeholders meeting, which is a national gathering of every member of Farmer Veteran Coalition across the country. Um, it is usually a live event, uh, but due to COVID and just like everything else, we're being pushed to the virtual uh, experience. So it's in late November or mid-November, the 18th and 19th. Um, 
it's two days. It's a Wednesday, Thursday. It's just like any other conference, except you can't jump in and out of classrooms. You have to register for different sessions. Which there's three to four sessions per uh, day. And uh, you go on, have to go online, register, and that is $35 up until November 11th, which happens to be Veterans Day, which I'd like to circle around and talk about something we're doing here in Arkansas on November 11th in a minute. And okay. after November 11th, it's $45. Um, with that uh, registration, which goes straight to uh, help other farmers with some of the grants and fellowship grants that uh, the national organization pushes out throughout the year. Uh, the website to go and register for this conference is conference.farmvetco.org. That's conference.farmvetco.org. You go on and it's extremely simple. It's got a big button that says register here and it walks you through a couple of pages to where some basic information and you get to select the sessions which range from hey we're all in this together to specific things about you know cattle farms uh, row crop farms small garden farms even marketing as well as financials I had a chance uh, yesterday to take a look at that schedule and there's just all kind of great sessions going on uh, you mentioned some of them. Uh, one I saw, Tough Times, Tougher Farmers, Helping mm -hmm. Farmers ra Rise to the Challenge. Uh, that looks like it will be uh, particularly pertinent to 2020. And uh, From Sea to Shining Sea, uh, that's where all the state chapters have a forum. And even Marketing Mayhem, Branding Your Business. Just all kinds of good sessions folks can sit in and uh, learn for very small fee. Two of those, I mean, two of those are the ones that I selected. But another feature of that is you can have a family member or guest also register and uh, attend this. And if you have two uh, computers or, or devices, you can probably split up and actually attend two different uh, conferences. At some of, the bad thing about it is a lot of times we want to try to expose ourselves to everything, and two of the ones that we're very interested in is going on at the same time. So just something to keep in mind. Well, that's coming up again uh, November 18th and 19th, and to get the uh, cheaper registration rate, you, you've got until Veterans Day. And... Uh, let me just say again the web address in case somebody didn't catch it. It's conference.farmvetco, F-A-R-M-V-E-T-C-O dot org, O-R-G. And you wanted to circle back, Michael. You mentioned that you got something coming up here with the Arkansas chapter around Veterans Day. What can you tell us about that? Well, we in Arkansas are having our initial launch on Veterans Day. Um, if you are a listeners or farmer veterans and are interested in becoming an uh, active member in Farm Vet, Farmer Veteran Coalition of Arkansas, you can go online to um, our 
Facebook page and um, register to attend our event in Searcy at Windy Hill Farm on November 11th from 11 till 2. Uh, we're going to award some Homegrown by Hero uh, road signs, which is a benefit of being a Farmer Veteran Coalition member and a Homegrown by Heroes, which is uh, administered by Arkansas Department of Ag. We're going to uh, award some signs, and we're going to have a small meeting afterwards and a meet and greet, and hopefully expand our membership exposure on that day. That's uh, and they can always give me a call, and I can walk them through the process. So, how would they do that, Michael? How should they contact you, or what web address could they go to to get more information? They can go to uh, Arkansas at farmvetco.org. That email address is Arkansas at farmvetco.org. Or they can give me a call at 501-593-9631 or text, and I will get back with them. We really hope uh, some of our veterans out there who maybe have been thinking about getting involved in agriculture or listening and uh, we'll give you a holler and be a part of that uh, kind of initial event y'all got coming up. I may try to come to that myself. I'd like to uh, to meet some of the members in person and uh, have a chance to visit with you again. It looks like uh, a fun month in November uh, for the Farmer Veteran Coalition. It's definitely going to be busy, and we'll save you a seat, Keith. All right. I look forward to it, Michael. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule this week to share all this information with our listeners. Now Greg Patterson learns about Preston Rose Farm and Brewing Company, a destination nano-craft brewery that also features locally grown and sourced farm-to-fork foods. The organically certified farm is run by owners Liz and Mike Preston, and it's located in the western Arkansas River Valley near Subiaco. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, our guests are Liz and Mike Preston. They're with the Preston Rose Farm and Brewing Company. And welcome to Arkansas AgCast. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us, first and foremost, tell us about your farm. How'd you get involved and, and what are y'all doing? Well, we moved from uh, the East Coast after a brief stay there by way of the West Coast most of our lives to Arkansas because Mike got a job at Arkansas Nuclear One where he's been since 2013. And uh, we started looking at smaller hobby farm size properties. Um, actually found this one on Craigslist uh, for sale by the Rose family, which is where the Rose and Preston Rose comes from. Um, so we bought this little 10-acre patch on the side of a hill and immediately started trying to grow crops and see what we could do. Um, within about six months, we had our application for uh, organic certification submitted. And by actually August of the first year, we were growing things. We kind of slipped into the little bitty Paris farmer's market um, and sold a few things, but mainly just kind of familiarized ourselves with becoming market farmers. Right. And so the, follow the following year, we, um, we, were, we became certified officially, and we're certified through the Oklahoma Department of Ag. Um, we were the first ones in our county, and I think probably six or eight counties around us. 
Um, and so our goal and, was to kind of go ahead. No, I was going to say um, <laughs> you mentioned the Oklahoma Department of Ag. So, so explain yeah, they, a little bit of how that goes. Uh, well, there was nobody who could certify us in Arkansas. There's so few organic farms in Arkansas wow. that there there are no bodies of government that can certify you here. There are national, uh, you know, groups uh, that can consult with you and help you get your certification and ultimately do your certification, but we wanted to, to keep it with a local uh, body of government if we could, and, and that was the closest. <laughs> so I believe there may be one or two other options now, but that was almost eight years ago. So sure. uh, we continue to certify every year. We've been, uh, this will, we're going into our eighth year of certification. And, um, you know, it really, it wasn't a big stretch for us. We were already practicing a lot of the, the methods and, and rules and general practices that are a part of organic farming. So it really was just a, a way for us to market our products in uh, a way that instilled confidence in the consumer when they were looking to know that that we knew what we were doing as far as treatment of the crops and not using pesticides or chemical fertilizers and, and the like. So we we became certified. So you want to talk about why it didn't take us three years versus one year? Well, this, this property had not been farmed in about 12 years, and even when it was farmed, the, the Rose family didn't use any chemical inputs. So we were actually able to get a letter from the youngest uh, of the Rhodes family who actually lives right behind us. So um, that was just basically a letter from the previous property owner stating that no uh, no disallowed inputs had occurred and, and we were able to get our certification on the fast track. So um, obviously... Wow, that that was a bonus then. Oh yeah, absolutely. The And, the you know, they do testing and things like that. You just have to be able to... Sure. To certainly say that there there haven't been inputs for three years um, or less. So, so what have you been growing? Well, <laughs> we we our goal really was to start out, um, and we did start out growing things that we didn't find at our typical farmers markets. You know, while we have an appreciation for purple whole peas and yellow squash and okra and the like, um, it's always it's always kind of been our goal to to offer something up that wasn't there already. So we kind mm-hmm. of targeted a lot of the lost southern heirlooms, uh, you know, the ugly squash and different shades and sizes of heirloom tomatoes. Um, I lived in New Mexico for a brief while when I was younger, so I, I became a rather obsessed with hatch chili. So we do grow New Mexico <laughs> hatch chili here on the farm uh, en masse. You know, it's become a, a regular part of our menu, which we can get into later. But um we grow just about as much as we can on the little tiny patch that we grow on. We we employ biointensive farming and tiered gardening, which is basically uh, growing in patches. We do use weed cloth, but we grow in patches and then leave patches of native grass in between to uh, avoid erosion and things like that because we really are on the side of a right. hill. Um, so we we started growing all of the, the things that we could get our hands on, basically, and you know, we figured if we're the weird organic farmers at the market, we might as well throw some stuff people haven't seen in there while we're at it. So <laughs> it, 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 we started working over at the Paris Farmers Market, and they, they saw that we were involved and dedicated and excited about it. So the, the town actually access, asked us to um, head it up. So I became the director of the market and 
kind of brought it a little bit into this century. Got him a Facebook page and did some local promotions. We got some grants from Walmart and, and did a, a good three and a half or so years with that market um, in addition to helping the Russellville community market, which is a, a long-running online farmer's market out of Russellville. Right. Um, we worked with them, and for a while I stood in as an interim manager when they lost theirs. So we, we got really involved really quickly. Um, and we had always had a brewery on the horizon, and so that's that's kind of where we're at in in the history is when we got to the three or four year mark and we were we were making as much uh impact as we could as market farmers with as much as we could grow with as much time as we had, and we were looking for the next step so and so that next step would be a way to diversify a little bit, increase income. And and what was the uh, the whole idea behind um, tying the brewery into your already existing farming? Well, we uh, <laughs> Mike laughs in the background. <laughs> well, the original the original brewery spot is actually in the location of the previous occupants, and I don't believe it's the Rose family, but it's the previous occupants' um, burn pile. <laughs> uh, when we first became certified, we were worried that they were going to think that we were trying to grow organic products on a place that people had burned, you know, what people burn around here, everything. <laughs> you know, we were right, worried right. that they would be concerned over any residues in the soil or anything. So we we uh, we roped it off and put little form boards like we were getting ready to pour a cement foundation and said we were going to put our greenhouse there which was every bit our intention. You know, we would sure, pour sure. a slab and start our seedling house there. And, you know, we just, we are craft beer enthusiasts first and brewers second. So we we have always, anytime we've traveled, we've always looked for unique craft breweries around the country. Um, you know, I had a an affiliation with a few of them just over the years. I knew some people who had started them. I I had been friends with people who worked for them, and and we really just both had a a deep affinity for craft beer, and there aren't any around us, or there weren't, (laughs) Um, you know, eight years ago. So we just decided nobody else is doing it. We better just do it. And uh, it was something that we had initially considered, you know, finding an industrial building out in town or, or building a separate building on a different property, but it kind of quickly became evident that we could probably pull it off if we started small enough. And so that's what we did. We put a little uh, 18 by 20 metal building on that spot that I discussed earlier and had it plumbed and wired and we stuck a one barrel brewery in there. And uh, we quickly realized that people were a little more interested than we had ever anticipated. (laughs) So So, so uh, what did that lead to once you found that, that folks were were more interested, you know, not only in that, because they, then you start drawing people who were much like yourselves. When you would travel, you'd look for those types of right. places to go visit. So how did that um, maturation take place to create the business you're doing now? Well, you had to expand three times the first year. And wow. We sell, and we didn't sell a pint of beer the first year. We only sold samplers. And growlers to go, like a half gallon jug to go, 
Right, um, right. Well, we sold the whole first year. We didn't have a table or a chair or a pint glass. We just sold samples and growlers, and still we had to expand three times the first year. Beer-wise, as far as brewing goes, we we had to expand just to meet the demand of people coming to have That's a sample. That's amazing. Buy the beer and go. So, and, and you, you, know, you didn't really think, expect that. You figured no. No, yeah. we had plans on uh, this was going to be our pilot brewery where we would work out all of our recipes, maybe establish a few flagship beers, really develop our brand, and sure. and then buy a distribution truck or sign on with a distributor, however it ended up working, and move our beer around the state because everybody around here kind of laughed at us <laughs> when we said what we were going to do. Um, but, wow, it was a, a, a wonderful surprise, but it was indeed a surprise. So we, we just... We have just literally adapted as we grow. Every time we find ourselves overwhelmed with, you know, the traffic or the demand or, or the supply or anything like that, we just try and make an adjustment to to live into it and then just move forward from there. Um, we we really always have wanted the, – the goal from the beginning was – do a few years, you know, a few more years at an employer. He's still at A&O right now. Mm-hmm, but we mm-hmm. we both work here for, you know, five or six more years and then kind of get into the agritourism, farm visits, uh, you know. And we always have talked about putting a little restaurant and maybe a brew pub on the property. Um, and it all just kind of <laughs> came a lot faster than we expected it to. You know, we didn't sell a keg of beer off the property the first year. We uh, we sold every drop of beer that she made, which was over 100 barrels the first year. We had like 100 different styles and varieties of beer the first year. We sold them all on the property. So you you couldn't make it fast enough. No. Yes, sir. That's no, right. I could not make it fast enough. And actually, that, that sort of uh, is a good segue into why we we left the market farming world, you know, that it, it was quickly. It quickly became evident. I would bring a few. There's some cottage laws out there that allow you to do some home baked goods and jellies sure. and jams or whatnot. Um, and I quickly realized, which if you do a little math in your head, uh, that value adding to your own crops is really the only, if the best, but if not the only way to to make a solid living on such a small property without any involvement of big ag like Tyson and, and things like that or contracting out to other larger agricultural bodies. But being a market farmer and trying to make it, I can't imagine doing it without the outside income that we had from from Mike's job. So we really kind of realized that developing our brand, if it were, uh, into something that we can add value to the crops that we grow, incorporate them into different areas of production, like you said, diversify uh, our offerings quite a bit, then we would really become a very unique experience, uh, not just, you know, another place making beer. And so I think we've we've managed to get there pretty well. We we have a lot of beer that nobody else has. We, we have always uh, adhered very tightly and dearly to our as local as possible philosophy and um, all of the businesses that we use from suppliers of raw materials all the way up to, you know, who we buy our steaks from and things like that, right. um, they're all as small and local as we can find them. Uh, we're the only brewery in the state who's craft malt certified, 
which means we buy all of our malt that we use to produce the beer from small malt companies who are independent and have direct relationships with their farmers. So it all kind of ties together for us, you know, maintaining a connection between our farm and our business and our community and other farms and businesses around the country who are all trying to do the same thing. Well, let's let's transition into one of those raw materials and that in the beer making side of things, and and that is hops. And, yes, sir. And I, the best I can tell you, I've tried to bone up on hops and and have been to the you know, of course, the university is trying to establish that as a sure crop, you know, here in Arkansas mm-hmm. and. And the best I can tell in, in a couple of seminars I've been to and listening to those who are involved, it's hops is temperamental. You know, <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> so so you they, guys are growing it. And, we and, are. We've uh, we've had our hops in the ground about five years now, and they started out. They were one of the first things we planted on the property because again we kind of had that brewery envisioned from the get go. And so we bought some rhizomes and we dug the big deep holes and we got all ready to to, to put big telephone poles in and, you know, <laughs> got the jackhammer out there, drilled through our horrible rock-sided mountain. Okay, <laughs> and, I, I, I'm, I'm just laughing right now, not at the hard work you put into it, but <laughs> our family's got a farm up in the Catskill Mountains in New York and, and one of the properties that, that I used to be on as a kid and had a great blueberry patch that the guy mm-hmm. who took it over after us turned it into, you know, put up the telephone poles and all the oh, wires. Wow. And and that was three years ago. And when I was up there a year ago, I heard that all that stuff's now been ripped out. So oh, what a bummer. <laughs> hops are temperamental. So you know, they can successful. be. Yeah, uh, we have been – Successful on a relative scale, yes. Every year for the last three, we've been able to produce one or two batches, depending on how, honestly, how much attention we've paid the hops during the year. We have admittedly had years where hop maintenance has not been as close to the top of the list as it really should be. Um, You know, life happens and you get overwhelmed and and you just kind of knock the things down the list that can get knocked down. So, and tomatoes. When tomatoes and okra are coming off, they take all your attention. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've got you've got yeah. to take care of what you've got to take care of that very day. Absolutely. And so hops are, yes, they're temperamental, but they're more than temperamental. Um, they are uh, they are specific. They grow specifically um, adjusted to where they are growing. And so what you're not going to get out of a hop in this at this latitude, in this climate, is the uh, big, bitter, high alpha acid um, IPA-style hops that everybody is after. Um, that just doesn't develop here. And the reasons for that are primarily latitude. We don't have the hours of daylight in the day that, right. that you need um, in order for them to develop the lupulin properly and give you the percentage alpha acid that that you come to know in those varieties. But what we've really been trying to talk people into believing uh, in is is a terroir in the same way that you would discuss grape growing. 
And, and, and so, explain what that is. What what is so, that term? Terroir means is is essentially just a term that means the the properties, um, you know, aroma, taste, uh, appearance. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, size and weight of a crop differs based on the climate that it's growing in, the soil that it's using, the nutrients that are naturally available. All of those things heavily impact the flavor of of a crop. And so you see that. And I, and I think what you're saying, too, is based on, on – I watched you in a video, and you were talking about that, that real bitter, hoppy taste that you might get in the Cascades yeah. doesn't necessarily play itself out in Arkansas. It doesn't. And, uh, and, and the same goes for a grape. You know, if you grew a mm-hmm. grape, a Chardonnay grape in Napa Valley – and you grew that same, you just whacked off a piece of that rootstock and grew it, the same exact plant in Arkansas, those grapes are going to make totally different wine. And so exactly. it's very, very much the same with hops. And it doesn't need to be any different. I think that the that craft brewing has just reached the middle of the country and a lot of the a lot of the acceptance of different qualities of things based on uh, climate and area of the country, regional differences in hops and grains and things like that are really also new. You know, there's there's centuries of enology and of of, of winemaking that have brought the characteristics that all differ from climate to climate and region to region to a level of acceptability that nobody questions. And so that that the craft brewing industry and the the craft brewing supply chain industry is so new or renew in our country, right? We have, mm-hmm, we, have mm-hmm. we had a lot of barley and hops once upon a time. Um, but it's it's really just in its infancy of its comeback. And I believe wholeheartedly that we're we're just kind of at the precipice with all of this. You know, I absolutely think that in ten years it won't be strange to say well, this one is a southern CTZ variety, and this one is a northern CTZ variety. Right. You know, this, is, this is an Arkansas hop, and it has, you know, the same strain. You know, we grow Zeus, which is is one of the highest alpha acid, bitterest hops that you can get. And <laughs> here, it it tastes like a dreamsicle. <laughs> you know, it's it's got citrus qualities and floral qualities and very little bittering potential. Which, That's really fascinating. Yeah, it's it's uh, most of its qualities carry out in the beer on the nose and on the palate, rather than at the back where you get the hit, the bitter hit. And it's it's a uh, it's only it only limits you if you restrict yourself to a certain style of beer that requires that northern latitude grown hop. Right. So you know, of course, we're not we're not prejudiced. You know, we, I buy hops. Like I said, one or two batches a year, I use my own hops. All the other batches a year, I buy them from the latitudes that have the most success growing them. That being said, our farm hop beer is on right now. Mm-hmm. It's extremely popular. It's always <laughs> oh, I, I, I guarantee you that people, it's almost like a, a boutique industry, so to speak, where where people know that the only place, you know, that they can get that particular experience it's going yep. to be on the Preston Rose Farm. Yep, yep, and, 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 uh, you know, and we get to have an estate hopped beer. 
And there are people just like there are birders who will go all over the world and different parts of the country to see a particular oh, yeah. bird. They're going to come to your your farm to taste your beer. So, sure. so you're helping define um, the potential of growing hops in Arkansas. And at the same time, you're running a uh, an ag tourism type operation and, and geez, 2020 has been rough on ag tourism. So what have you guys been having to do to deal with the whole COVID-19 thing in the type of operation, you know, the changes you've had to make? Well, our, our customer service area has primarily been to uh, 12 by 30 foot long buildings that essentially are one big, beautiful, long cedar table down the middle English mm-hmm. pub style and their community seating. And we've, and it was one of the most endearing qualities of, of our place. You know, it was a place where people could come and meet people they didn't know before and have wonderful conversations and bond right. over like-mindedness and, and, and not like-mindedness. You know, we've had some very lively conversations out here on the farm and we've had people visit us while they're in town from Denmark and we've had people visit sure. us you know, from down the road in Midway. Um, on average, we would have, about two-thirds of our customers every week were here from at least an hour and a half away, if not more. Um, wow. You know, we had regulars from Tulsa. That's a very strange thing in this area. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, it's it, and it's since COVID has struck us all, um, we have actually lost a few breweries in the state. And I believe that our, our home-based model, you know, because we do live here on the farm as well, um, actually – it hurt us, but it helped us. You know, we're already here. And so there was no exit, you know, external Yeah, you weren't going anywhere else. No, but But, on the flip side, we're here. (laughs) And we we live here. I don't, you know, we don't want the whole world flocking in, uh, helping us spread COVID. Um, And so it's, we we initially, from the shutdown date, we shut down as as long as we were required to, and actually a month longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was around Father's Day. Before we, you didn't go there from March 7th till Father's Day. Right. Um, wow. And all the bills are still there. Yeah. Still, yeah, no still, kidding. Yeah. The electricity and the insurance and the, yeah. There, the, the, there. the SBA has, has actually helped out a lot. They've had a lot of disaster relief programs for us and other, other brewer friends have have been saved, really, by those programs. And are, are right. extremely... Uh, cautious approach, I believe, and holding everything really close until we feel like it's safe has really been the reason that we've been able to survive it. Um, so in, in June, we started selling beer to go, which kind of led us to um, packaging differently because the traditional way of selling beer to go for us was in growlers, and people would bring their growler back in for a refill. And sure. that's that's on sanitation levels, especially when everybody's so unsure about the way COVID works and, and the way it's transmitted, we just didn't feel safe having people bring their used growlers back and forth. Yeah, and makes so, sense. Right. And so we started actually a bottling program. Um, we looked into canning, but there's such a high demand, as you might imagine, on canning right now that it's, it's you know, months and months of lead time and, and months and months of time trying to get actual cans in hand. Right. So, um one model that folks have kind of stepped away from is 
the glass bottles, and they're they're heavier and more wieldy, and and they're a little more expensive. But um, we actually, because our beer is kind of a boutique beer, it's hard for us to try and imagine up a way to package our beers and compete with you know Sierra Nevada or Budweiser right. or one of the big guys. And so we've right. got a, a 22 ounce what they call bomber format which is almost, it's two nice glasses of beer, and we came up with our simple brown paper labels and, um, you know, used some local resources to help us design those and bought some bottles from a a brewer who had stopped using that size of a bottle, so we found a pretty good deal on that and just started bottling. Um, And so now, and since then, we've been selling beer to go on site as well as uh, selling it out in town. We've got a few locations uh, in Paris. We've got one in Fort Smith. You can go to Fayetteville in a couple locations, Siloam Springs, and then we're in Little Rock. So we've been moving our cases of these of these bottles around the state to try and you know slow the bleeding, <laughs> try, yeah. try and fill it up, and also to to keep the beer moving. You know, it's it's fresh, unfiltered beer. It's not going to keep forever, and so it's kind of it's it's a timely thing and so yeah and there's to... only two of you there on the farm yeah. and you can't yeah. drink it all no no it was <laughs> we did have three employees uh when we were when we went into this shutdown and we ended up having to furlough all three uh, right. one of them's a son so that was kind of a bummer uh but uh our son and one of our other employees has has just this week in the, over the last week or two come back on a part-time basis, and I guess about a month ago, at the beginning of October, we started uh, Meals on the Farm again. Um, we had been doing, uh, at weekends we do pizza to go and things like that. Our food has all been, I developed a food program to, to be a similar thing to our beer, where we're incorporating things from the farm, we're using all local things, we're doing right. real food, no cans, no mixes, no boxes or frozen things. Um, and so we buy all of our meat from local ranchers. We grow That's as much great. of the, you know we grow as much of the vegetables as we can. Everything now that I grow on the farm, vegetable wise, gets used for food here at the restaurant. Um, we we will sell the occasional bag of tomatoes and and a few potatoes on the side, but uh, bulk wise, it all gets used by the restaurant. So. It, it offers both a unique experience for people that come and a great way for us to to truly utilize our farm um, in a way that is sustainable for us and uh, kind of puts us in a place where we can lean on our, our, our farm to help support us sometimes when, when we can't find local produce or when local producers are, you know, shut down. <laughs> um, so the hope, of course, that. is is that you'll be back up to uh, the way things used to be once this this COVID thing gets solved in some way, shape, or form. In the meantime, you've got some stopgap um, ways that you're having to uh, do business. And, and Believe me, the farms and the farmers I talk to are all in the same boat. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're able to still operate and still get some product out to people. If folks want to know more about you all or, or be able to try your beers, I mean, you were mentioning some cities that they're in. Um, 
I'm sure you guys have a website, you got a Facebook page. How do people how do people do that? We're very active in social media. You can find us at Preston Rose Farm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, Our Facebook page has a button that you can click that says book now. And so right now our meals on the farm are extremely limited. We have socially distanced little screen tents that we've got placed around the yard. And so we've got six of those up at a time and you book ahead of time and reserve one of those for up to six people. And then there's a fixed menu that we serve that weekend. Um, And so you can make reservations that way. You can also Um, use that link to buy beer to go online and uh, Monday through Friday you're able to buy beer to go and come and pick it up by appointment so you would just go to the website and pick what you wanted and then call us to find out what times are available for pickup and then on the weekends you of course can buy beer to go while you're here or just uh, buy beer to go at the gate if you don't get a reservation Um, Google Maps has a link to our reservation website as well. So if you look at Google Maps, not the first hit that comes up on Google, we've got a kind of a partner site that we keep, well, that we're supposed to keep a newsletter on. <laughs> I've been very good about keeping that up. But, <laughs> uh, it's uh, Don't go to the Square site. Go to the Google Maps and look for us or go to Facebook or, or Instagram for sure. And t- tell us, tell the listeners exactly where your farm is located. Down the dirt road. Yeah, we are down a dirt road. Uh, so Subiaco is a little bitty town with another brewery, actually, um, here off of Highway 22, It's which is halfway between Fort Smith and Little Rock, if you can picture that as far as distance goes. Highway right. 22 runs parallel to I-40 between Fort Smith and Russellville. Um, and so we're about 45 minutes from Russellville, about an hour from Fort Smith by way of Highway 22. Yeah, but if you're coming off the 40, we're 20 minutes from Clarksville off the 40. Yep, you would take the exit off of Clarksville, uh, I think it's 57, 55, 57. 55 or 57, and then it's just about a 20-minute drive down 109 to our road, which is uh, St. Louis Valley Road, very close. To Subiaco, between Subiaco and that turn onto 109, which is Midway. Well, that sounds great. She is Liz Preston. He is Mike Preston. And I think I heard intermittently a Preston cat that was there as well. <laughs> yeah. um, Preston Rose Farms. Guys, thank you so much for spending time with us today on Arkansas AgCast. And we wish you all the best. And and I'm I'm sure we'll meet up again because I'm still interested in the whole hops thing. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Finally, Ken Moore sits down with Jeff Pitchford, Arkansas Farm Bureau State Affairs Director, to talk about Tuesday's election and what the results in Arkansas, from local and national office races to ballot initiatives, could mean for agriculture in 2021. I'm Ken Moore, and I'm visiting today with Jeff Pitchford, State Affairs Director for the Arkansas Farm Bureau's Public Affairs and Governmental Relations Department. And Jeff, uh, we visited a couple of weeks ago before the election about uh, the issues that are important to agriculture and Arkansas Farm Bureau that were going to be on the ballot. And now the election is over. We know the results uh, for the most part, with the exception of perhaps the most important result, and that is for the White House. That is still being contested. 
even two days after the election is over. But let's talk about uh, state issues, first of all, and how the election results turned out. I know you work very closely with our General Assembly every year. Uh, how did this election turn out as far as the, the individuals you're going to be working with and, and uh, the impact on agriculture? Well, uh, thanks, Ken, for having me. You know, um, on the state level, uh, we did see, uh, we'll see some new faces at the state capitol in Little Rock come January when they come in for the next General Assembly's legislative session. Uh, a few folks that uh, were incumbents got uh, defeated, uh, two in the Senate and two in the House. Um, but uh, uh, the uh, what we'll see is uh, we'll see a handful of new folks that we'll have to uh, uh, educate uh, and, and talk to and uh, let them know the importance of agriculture and agriculture issues and get them up to speed so that they can make the, the right policy decisions and, uh, and uh, be able to understand all the in issues that affect uh, agriculture today. Um, the constitutional officers were not on the ballot this year, so it was just the General Assembly. So uh, the numbers are going to be close to about the same when it's all said and done. Uh, just some new challenges for us, obviously, in this whole environment of economic uncertainty and uh, the COVID-19 and everything like that. So it's going to be a different kind of legislative session. Um, I know just physically uh, they're talking about, you know, trying to protect everybody, protect the legislators and the general public. So uh, it's going to be kind of a different way to get our message across. And so that's why it's it's really important for um, our members and uh, and citizens, if they want to contact their legislators, is to uh, is to reach out to them and, and uh, stay involved as much as they can. Uh, it's going to be kind of different for those that uh, difficult for those that, of us that hang out at the Capitol, uh, just because uh, we may not have the access uh, in person that we have. So we'll have to try other ways to make sure they get the right information and uh, understand our point of views. Uh, and so that's going to be there'll be more Zoom calls and and text messages and emails of that sort. Congressionally, uh, three of our four uh, House of Representatives, three of our four congressmen, uh, one didn't even have an opponent. Uh, congressman Crawford did not even have an opponent this year. Uh, congressman Womack and Congressman Westerman did, but they won their reelection races uh, fairly handily. But uh, Congressman French Hill was in a hotly contested race with uh, Senator Joyce Elliott, but he came out victorious. What does that mean? Well, you know, uh, it, it, I guess on the surface and, and looking going forward, um, our delegation remains the same. And so we have good relationships with uh, all four members of the, of the House and our two U.S. senators. And so they're familiar with what Farm Bureau uh, stands for and some of the issues. We'll continue to work with, with them and uh, keep them up to date on what's going on, uh, what are some of the issues that are affecting Arkansas and uh, agriculture and rural rural development. I know with uh, Congressman Hill, he's been very receptive to the broadband initiatives that we've been trying to push and getting more uh, broadband funds for uh, Arkansas and rural Arkansas. He's kind of been a point person for that. So I uh, we we hope that as he if he since he's going back as well that uh, that he'll continue to to help us in that endeavor. Certainly, uh, and then on the. Uh Ballot issues. Uh, we're very supportive of issue one, two, and three, 
very actively supporting all three of these uh, issues that were referred to the ballot by the uh, General Assembly. Uh, issue one uh, uh, passed rather easily. Issue two did as well, but issue three did not. Why don't you reflect on, uh, you know, what this means, the results. We're very happy to see issues one and two pass. Uh, not so much with issue three, but uh, the voters spoke. That's correct. Um, and so uh, on issue one, that was the uh, highway program to continue an, an existing uh, tax that had been slated to sunset. And so that passed. So the good news is that uh, we won't be paying any more money than, than we already are paying. And so, and two, uh, that opens up a lot of new possibilities for uh, the road improvements across the state. The highway department and others who pushed that, the governor and legislators, you know, are all uh, are were supportive. And when we uh, look at the plans, I know that they've talked about uh, improving uh, our state highways, especially bridges. And I know that's a big thing in the farm to market roads across Arkansas. We have a lot of bridges that we have to cross, and and a lot of those need to be upgraded or repaired. We have a lot of low weight bridges now. Uh, and it's time to fix those. And so uh, I know we at Farm Bureau will be watching them closely. Uh, they have said over the next 10 years they think they can repair or replace all those bridges across Arkansas. And so we're going to hold them to it. Uh, if we're going to support something we, we, and they say they're going to do something with it, we're going we're to watch them and make sure that they do. But I think if you think over the next decade, if, if, if those roads, roads are improved, and bridges are replaced or repaired, um, that's going to be a good thing for Arkansas. That's going to be a good thing for Arkansas agriculture. If we can't get our product to the market uh, in a timely way or a cost-effective way, uh, then uh, we're not sustainable. And so uh, we're, we're very supportive of it, and we're very, very glad to see that one pass. On issue two, that was the term limits. Um, we were supportive of that because that uh, was mirrored the uh, current policy that we have in place here at Arkansas Farm Bureau on term limits, the 12 years, and then uh, it's not a lifetime ban anymore, but if someone does serve 12 years, they have to set out for four years before they would be eligible to run again and to see if the voters back home would, would elect them again after setting out. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different than maybe some other states, but uh, it's now in the Constitution, and that's our new new term limit. So, obviously, since it mirrored our our policy, we we are very supportive of it, and so uh, we count that as a victory as well. On issue three, disappointed in the in the results, uh, lost that race statewide. I think in looking at the numbers on that one, and that was the issue of uh, of how we put things on the ballot in Arkansas. Uh, it looked like that uh, the areas that were for it were. Uh, we're better educated on it than not, and I think that's kind of was probably what we we see that we needed to do more was to the education of the issue and what it uh, did and what it didn't do and uh, and why it's still needed. We've got to figure out a way to keep our uh, ballot process by amending the state constitution from having so much influence from out of state. Too much, too much out-of-state dollars are flowing into Arkansas because we're fairly easy to put something on the ballot. And so you're seeing uh, these interest groups from California, Colorado, Texas, Florida uh, spend money and use money in, in Arkansas to, to pass their agenda. And uh, we need to be able to govern ourselves. So the process is not working like it should here in Arkansas. 
we've got to figure out a way to uh, to fix that. Uh, I don't know if we'll come back or not with something, or maybe there might be something in a couple of years again on the ballot. We don't know at this stage. We're just trying to recover from uh, from the election like everybody else. Uh, but uh, we, it is still is an important issue, and we need to figure out a way to fix that, to keep out-of-state interests from, from trying to uh, – uh, to dominate our own process here. Arkansans need to govern ourselves. And any thoughts? I know it's still, uh, there are about a half a dozen states where they're still counting mail-in ballots, uh, primarily up, uh, well, even in the state of Georgia, I believe, and uh, the upper Midwest. Uh, any thoughts on, uh, you know, we've developed over the last four years, American Farm Bureau has, Arkansas Farm Bureau has, uh, a fairly friendly relationship with the Trump administration. Uh, we have a very farm-friendly, agriculture-friendly Secretary of Agriculture in Sonny Purdue. If we change administrations, we will be dealing with a brand-new Secretary of Agriculture. Uh, Sonny Purdue is a former farmer himself from the state of Georgia, you know, and, as he was appointed. Uh, any thoughts on how this could go and, and what happens if we change administrations? Well, obviously, it's a concern. You know, um, here's the thing about agriculture. Um, presidents come and go. Uh, congressmen come and go. Senators come and go. Uh, the pendulum switches back and forth. It's sometimes Democrats, sometimes Republicans. But the good thing is every morning when the sun gets up, we're still farming. And we're still raising products and commodities and chickens and cattle and pigs and uh, and raising our families and uh, and keeping uh, America fed. And so we're going to continue our message is going to be the same whether regardless who's there is we need markets, uh, we need assistance when we when uh, we're down and we need markets to sell our products and we need fair trade. And so that message never changes and so that that's something we always do and we push to them. Obviously, if there's an if there's a new administration, that that president will have new new secretaries across the board probably, and so um, whoever it is, we hope that they are focused on agriculture, focused on markets, and uh, focused on helping uh, farmers across the, the nation. Uh, we are shrinking in size in the number of folks farming, yet the demand is growing. And uh, we've got to figure out a way to make sure that they understand that in Washington, D.C. They understand that in Little Rock. They understand that across our country. Everybody wants to go to the grocery store and have abundant food and abundant choices. Well, that doesn't get there by accident. And we need to continue just to push that message and uh, and let them know. So there might be a change there. Uh, I think it looks like the Republicans are going to hold the, the U.S. Senate. So we're going to have a divided uh, Washington, D.C., and sometimes that means a lot of gridlock, but sometimes that means some checks and balances, and hopefully that will mean that they'll start working together and uh, a little bit more and uh, and move some things forward. We need infrastructure, uh, again, farm-to-market roads and getting things out. We need uh, good trade policies. We need markets across the country and across the, the world to sell our goods and our product, and so we're going to we're going to hope that uh, that that happens and push that, and we think that uh, regardless, uh, Arkansas farmers are going to wake up the next day and they're going to go to work just like they do to feed their families and uh, to feed Arkansans and and to feed 
America and to feed the world. And that's what we do, and we do that very, very well, and we'll continue to push that message with any policymaker, regardless of what level they're, they're at. Very well said, Jeff. Thank you very much. Well, we'll still wait and see uh, over the next several days, uh, hopefully, if there will be a change in administration in Washington, D.C. But nonetheless, uh, we do have friends here in Arkansas, here at home, who understand our policy, who understand the needs of Arkansas agriculture. They've been friends of Farm Bureau for years now, and it looks like that will continue going forward. So I guess the bottom line is let's just hope this pandemic runs its course so uh, we can kind of get back to normal again a little bit. It's uh, That is always going to be uh, a cloud hanging over the work that you do, as you just referenced earlier, uh, if this thing continues into 2021. Absolutely. You know, um, it's changing the game for everybody, um, even – uh, as we, like I said earlier, we even physically, uh, you know, trying to get physically in touch with the legislator or policymaker, either here or in Washington, the protocols are different. We're trying to protect everybody and that's a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's, it, uh, it's going to be some, some different kind of challenges. I would ask that everyone's not just in the farm bureau family, but everyone that, that, uh, that has an issue and wants to be involved is to, is to get involved and make sure that uh, you're you're working with your local legislators, working with the with the offices, and 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 trying to be consistent and and make the effort. They want to hear from you. Legislators aren't. They, they, they trust me. They're, they're people. People. They want to go out and they want to talk to, to folks and and they like interacting with with people. And you know, COVID's made it to where we can't do that as much and uh, or if, at all. And so they, they want to hear from their folks. And so we just have to encourage everybody to, to, to uh, work together and try to keep uh, contacting and reaching out. They want to hear that. The feedback is important. Making, taking five minutes to write an email or make a phone call is powerful. They really want that, uh, and they really listen. I, it really does make a difference. And uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease sometimes, and, uh, and so we want to be a squeaky wheel. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate your time, my friend. Uh, we've been speaking with Jeff Pitchford, uh, the State Affairs Director for Arkansas Farm Bureau, on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. That's it for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with the latest news, interviews, and updates on Arkansas agriculture.